0: Hi, it's Tuesday, and uh, I'll tell you the truth. This is one I'm not, I wasn't crazy about doing. Uh, I have some time now, but uh, my good friend <laughs> sort of cajoled me into this, Rabbi uh, Kasurla in, um, in Florida. Uh, as soon as Rabbi Sachs died, he said, he called me up, he, said, he, uh, he wrote to me, he said, you got to do this, and he's sponsoring it, and all the rest. Of it. And I didn't want to do Jonathan Sachs, but he really put me a pressure on me. And so, for better words, I'll say a few words. Uh, not because of anything against Rabbi Sachs. Uh, the, not at all. But uh, I never was a Jonathan Sachs guy. And I don't like to speak about people that I have to think about. Usually, when I do these podcasts, I just sit there and ramble. But because I know it, you know. But uh, Rabbi Sachs is unusual, uh, quite unusual. And um, I hate having to think about these things. But that's what you made me do. Uh, And this is more in the nature of sociology than anything else. I'm just going to give an impressionistic um, few thoughts. Now, like I said, I'm doing this, quote-unquote, under coercion, (laughs) as it were. Uh, Rabbi Sachs, who's uh, made a huge impact in the world, like I said before, it's funny. He made a big splash out there, not on me, but that doesn't prove anything. That doesn't mean anything. I am who I am, and uh, he wasn't yeshivish in the classic sense, of course. I don't think Rabbi Sachs went to Yeshiva at all, which is just interesting. Uh, But so what? Uh, So what? I don't think any of the chief rabbis of England have gone to Yeshiva. Not really. Not really. The class sense Yeshiva. Except the current one. This Rabbi Mervis. I don't know him either, but I know he went to KBY and some places like that. Uh, But going back to Nathan Marcus Adler and the others, they all had their own individualistic roots, and Rabbi Sachs, I think most people know, mainly, uh, has secular education, although he's a genius, so he picked up all the Jewish stuff and he did ask me no question about it you know in uh in Jews college when I was there it was not from Rabinowitz. it was a big don and i I know he also went to the Eitz Chaim, which no longer exists I understand i don't know that much about the eighthheim And I'm british, you know uh and these sheep come and go but uh a very unusual route, so as I said before i 'm not giving a biography, but rather more in terms of impressions. And one thing is uh, interesting, and that is about Rabbi Sachs, is, uh, first of all, you know, he had a degree in philosophy. Um, I don't know if that was his PhD. He wrote about the uh, re- re- responsibility, Achrayis, I suppose, something like that for his doctorate. At the, so he did his main work, I think, at Cambridge, if I'm not mistaken. And then he did his doctorate in, in London. And then somewhere along the way, he got the Smicha. This is not the regular route. You understand? Again, there's nothing wrong with that. He was able to use his uh, first class education. Understand what I'm talking about. Here's a British guy who had excellent education at the best schools, which therefore trained you to think and trained you to express yourself. And then when he went into the rabbinate, he really worked on expressing himself, became a genius, right? As as a speaker and expression. Now, uh, I'll get right to my point. You, I think think Rabbi Sachs in the following sense. They said to um, the prophet uh, Jeremiah, you know, uh, I don't know of any rabbi at all in history who how should I put it? Let's, let me rephrase it. I don't know of any Orthodox rabbi made a Kiddush Hashem except Jonathan Sachs. Isn't that a terrible statement to make? Okay? Tell me somebody who made a splash in the geisha world. Now, I'm serious. I'm not being funny. In, in, in a uh, positive... I don't know of anybody. Our emotional Feinstein, for example, was a tremendous going in the Jewish world. I don't know anything about it. It has nothing to do with that. In Rabbi Soloveitchik, to tell you the truth. Nothing really big in the outside world. He's big in the Jewish world. Uh, I don't know of anybody who made a, a big, positive impression uh, in the outside world and also in the non form world, like Rabbi Sachs. That's quite a statement I just made. That's pretty sad. I can name a lot of Orthodox rabbis who made a chilashem, <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Just go on the internet. How can you, uh, but, but a kiddishishem, in the sense of a kiddishishem for the nations of the world, I don't know of anyone. And I think you know this. Uh, I'm not speaking to uh, ignorant people here. Naomi Sachs not just was the chief rabbi of England, but he was one of the leading intellectuals of the 20th and 21st century in our lifetimes. That's quite, that's not a uh, cliche I just said. That's uh, quite a statement. And somebody's Orthodox rabbi, a Shamba Shabbos, you know, puts control on every day, and to be up there with the top, top level of world intellectuals is really something. Now, let me get to my point. First of all, uh, I can think of five or six uh, results of this. First of all, for the Geisha world itself, what do they know about Jews? And certainly, what do they know about Orthodox Jews? It's a turnoff. You get it? And here comes somebody who's a chief rabbi of England, and, uh, you, you know, he was on the radio, he's on TV, he's on uh, the, uh, what do you call it, the, the top of the BBC, and all the rest of it, uh, to, and he became popular. Uh, I think, you, you, I don't know if you know this or not, Christians and Muslims, you hear what I said, Muslims, uh, wrote to him all the time and say, you, you know, we, we wish you were our preacher. <laughs> now it's Christian, tell like this, oh, you should be the Archbishop of Canterbury, right? You say it better. Uh Uh, atheist so like this is you know i'm an atheist but i hear what you're saying Uh, i I, you know i i uh, at least you have a defensible position uh the government people uh, there's no there's no rabbi you can think of like this the closest that comes to my mind and it's not the same thing is the rambam only because in his day the rambam was a big doctor and he had a reputation among the gentiles of his time as a knowing philosophy and so you know he made a splash out there other than his Jewish identity. I don't know of anybody else. Isn't that remarkable what I just said? Look at all these centuries I said, and look at all the Gedolim we just have, and look at all the famous rabbis, but they're in the Daladamis of Judaism. Who's, who's outside of the Daladamis of Judaism? I don't know anyone. And because Rabbi Seth is a from guy, like I say, not yeshivish in a different way, but because he's a from guy, I'm convinced that uh, one of the big Reasons, I mean, he did is because that's who he was. But one of the big splashes was, first of all, on the non-from. There's a ton of Jews out there in non-from who, I'm not saying they became from as a result of him. Some did, some didn't. But they have a, a positive impression. They're impressed with uh, traditional Judaism, with Orthodox Judaism. Simply because they like this. If a guy like Jonathan Sachs is talking this way, and he's a from guy, there must be something to it. And that's a pretty sad statement I just made. Because it should be that the frum world is so impressive that people say, "Wow, maybe I'm a, I can't take one all those chumers, um, you know that lifestyle." But it's really amazing. I don't think people walk around like that so much. I think most people say like this: the frum are crazy and narrow-minded, and I don't want a piece of that, unless somebody just gets hit on the right way by some care professional, you know. But ordinarily not. And here's this guy who was a chief rabbi, and afterwards he actually had an easier time after he was a chief rabbi, Uh, and I'll maybe talk about that a little later, Uh, but somebody who's uh, this big Orthodox rabbi, I repeat, an Orthodox rabbi, and make no bones about it, he's got a yarmulke and a beard and all the rest of it, and uh, he is talking in terms, and all within Judaism, uh, within classical sources of Judaism, and Leharosu, I mean, Mimas Yofyuk, and Veltum, not from people, were powerfully, positively impacted uh, by him, and again, I don't know if there's any other rabbi, not that I can think of. Uh, I would even go, let me, let me put it this way, I'm a narrow-minded individual. Somebody like Jonathan Sachs is like, uh, what's the right word? It's a standing reproach on the reform, on the conservative. Uh, well, I'll tell you what I mean by that. It used to be that the image was, if you're from, you won't make it in the world. And not only that, you won't make it with the guyim you won't be able to pre- present Judaism in the right way. But on the other hand, if you change Judaism, and you get rid of the objectionable features of it, and you uh, reform it, you see what I'm saying? Or you make it politically correct, and you buy into all the new cultural uh, ideas that are out there in the 21st century, then you'll be able to get the message out there. There is some truth to this in America, right? With, uh, what I would say, um, you know, certain types of liberals. Uh, that's the type of person that would impress, for example, Barack Obama. I mean, again, I'm speaking very seriously here. You know, they they could somehow or other connect with that type of rabbi. But here's Jonathan Sachs, who hit a home run around the world, certainly in all the English-speaking world, all the English-speaking countries, including America, and it does so entirely within, from within uh, Judaism. You don't have to be, non from, to reach the highest level of respect and even um, veneration of the Gentile society you can do it without giving up an iota of your Torah and This It's interesting because, again, uh, here's a guy who, on his own merits, reached the top of the uh, British culture in which he lived. The, the Prince of Wales is a fan of his, I think you know that. No, it's the royal family. The royal family ain't got no time for Judaism. <laughs> I want you to understand that. They have no history of, uh, I won't say they're anti Semitic or anything like that, but they've got no time. For anything Jewish, they never had anything to do, really, with the other chief rabbis in the past. I mean, they're polite to them, and all the rest of it. That's true. But uh, Jonathan Sachs just listened to Prince Charles. Oh, my goodness. He's like a chassid of his. You understand? And the prime ministers, who read his books, who talk to him on the highest level. Uh, you know, I mean, ever since John Major, back in the 90s, I remember. And then afterwards, who's the guy after him? Tony, uh, Tony Blair, uh, who was a real chassid of his, like a chavrusa. And then Gordon Brown, and then the guy after him, what was it, Cameron, is that right? A, there are no chief rabbis like that. There are no him like that. Okay? Uh, I'll say it again. This is a unique uh, business. So, okay, he didn't go to Lakewood. I get it. But he did something that somebody from Lakewood couldn't do. Now, you might tell me, well, somebody who cares about it. That's not true. It's important to have people like that. It's a shame that it's only one. Now, I want to tell you right now, the fact that he hit such a, a, a home run, as I use American terms, uh with the outside world especially the gentile world this was a tremendous chizik for what we call centrist judaism um, in england america i don't know if most people are right-wing or yeshiva or something like that I mean, there's a lot and there's a growing but there's a huge population out there and will be of people that are not this is a question we call centrist Judaism now the fight for the identity of centrist jews and one of the big issues of our time Avi Weiss type guys are contending for that. Other type people are contending for that. Um it's interesting. And Johnson Eckwood was was, was uh, probably the outstanding figure in centrist Judaism. A ton of modern Orthodox uh adults and kids uh look to him because you can talk to him about sphagas, about doubt. You understand? Know Most people are not comfortable. Speaking with a rabbi, they say, How do I know God exists? How do I know that the Torah is true? What do I do with Bible criticism, all the rest of it. There aren't too many rabbinim you can talk about this with who'll have an actual conversation. There are a lot of Rabboni who say, I guess, come to me, I'll give you the answer, and this is the answer. If you don't like it, then drop dead. You know, this is this damn missing. If not, there's something wrong with you. I'm talking about someone give a sophisticated, no baloney well, I shouldn't say no baloney, but you know, relatively free baloney approach to the huge questions. Of a moon for those people that have them in our time, and you can't just blow it away. And he was, uh, I think, a towering figure in this. Uh, it's not exactly my world, uh, and some people write to me about these things, you know, and you deal with it, but I, he, he's a better one to deal with, because he was a philosophy major, not a history man. I'm a history major. He's a philosophy major. Historians and philosophers are uh, natural enemies. I uh, always say that, because philosophers into the idea. The Ding an of the idea itself. Historians can always contextualize it. Now, Rabbi Sachs knew history, and he and actually to have a doctor in philosophy means you know the history of ideas, and he was a, uh, a supreme was always weaving in these history of ideas kind of things in there. Uh, that's one of his big kokos. You know, I didn't agree with everything he said all the time, but big deal. Who cares? The the his way of of using it together. Uh, was to locate Judaism within the larger Western narrative. And most people don't even know what I mean by the Western narrative. So if you're a young person, a modern person, you have spakers, you could write to him and he'll answer you back. You understand? I understand that he was going to write a book about Bible criticism before he died. Uh, I mean, seriously, dealing with the question of the Bible criticism. We don't make anybody like that. I'm not talking about these kind of books you find in the store, you know, one guy claims he can answer all the questions of a moon. I'm talking about the real thing. Uh, another big item is. And this I know personally from some people in London and elsewhere. Uh, There are a lot of Orthodox Jews out there in the workforce and in the public sphere, you know, out there working, and especially, and and let's put it this way, religious ideas are really uh, deprecated. In other words, uh, you look like a fool if you actually say you believe in God or, or the Bible or whatever. And they look to Jonathan Sachs as, uh, you know, the patron saint. Because anybody who says uh, no thinking person can can believe in religion, well, they will at Rabbi Sachs. And they'll say, oh, you're right. If the, I see there are thinking people that can believe in religion. Maybe we don't, but it gives a respect for a person, let's say, for example, with a yarmulke, or, or someone who's taking off for Shabbos, uh, out there in the workplace, to say, you know, the position is a respectable position. Uh, this gives them a... The, the, I'm talking about the Jews now they give them a big shot in the arm mm-hmm. to uh help them uh, negotiate uh, the living in the modern world and uh, getting respect for positions that uh, otherwise wouldn't get respect and mainly because you have like a the personal personalized situation where you say like this I I mean the 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 employer or the non-Jews around me they say well, listen we don't understand all this Jewish stuff it looks funny that he wears something in the hat and she goes like this and they take off this day and that day. But if Rabbi Sachs, who I heard on the radio, Rabbi Sachs, if he, if he holds it, must be a chashu position. That's a tremendous kid of Hashem. And that's a big chizik for the people out there, uh, as they say before, who aren't philosophers and who aren't able to articulate why they uh, keep the Torah mitzvahs, but you can point to somebody like this and, and, and get, um, uh, you know, uh, validation that way. Uh, and finally, you know, you, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, there's a tremendous number of Balabotim out there who are looking for logical thinking and good English, and you don't find it too often. Now, we have plenty of rabbis that can speak English, and we have plenty of rabbis that can sort of think logically, but not the same way as someone with a Cambridge education in philosophy. (laughs) Let's be honest. Okay? And uh, therefore, uh, again, there's a lot of people, I'm sure, I don't know this, but I am persuaded of this, a lot of people uh, in, in this generation, balabatim, who have stayed from or has helped them stay from, to hear someone present, uh, as I say before, an articulate and logical uh, presentation and defense, uh, and even active offense uh, of traditional Jewish ideas. Okay, uh, and finally, the thought occurs to me that, as I said before, in the fight over centrism. I think it's a question of: um, uh, Are you going to go to the left? Are you going to go to the right? Are you going to stay in the center? Uh, I think the big danger today is going to the left. This is what we're calling you know, open orthodox or what? Trying to they're trying to take possession of the center and try to move it left, especially in terms of attitudes on cultural questions, uh, gender questions, things like this. And Jonathan Zacks was not a left winger. It's interesting. I mean, uh, at the end of the day. As far as I'm aware, he always stood for keeping what the, what the halach is, and not changing and bending things, uh, you know, for, for, for the fashion of the times. Now, here you deal with a funny, I told you, I'm not just giving you my impressions on all this. Here you deal, it seems to me, with, um, how should I put it, uh, the difference between articulated abstractions and l'maysa. Because I know he wrote, uh, I didn't read his books. I mean, I have to say, and it, it, it just it wasn't my cup of tea. But I know a lot of people that do. Uh, and he wrote about dignity of difference and all that stuff. Which means that he, this is how I understand I can only tell you how I understand it. You know, in this world today, I just have a little shoulder to deal with. He has, you know, and I have my students in, in university. But he dealt with uh, a much larger framework and he was looking for a way to defend um, traditional Judaism, religious Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, in a wider uh, university uh, kind of context, intellectualist kind of context. And what he ended up focusing on was difference. You understand? what Judaism is all about difference. Instead of saying, we believe in one God, that's that doesn't go too well in university. You have to say, Judaism, you have to sort of like fudge it and say, Ju- you, Judaism is into, you know, Abraham was uh, Abraham of Ivory. you know, he disagreed with everyone else, all human beings are different, we should celebrate the difference in all human beings, and so on and so forth. The problem with that is that um, if one advocates um, celebration of difference, it means you have to show respect to everybody and everything. Um, and respectful dialogue. Remember he wrote about broken worlds and fractured cultures and all that kind of stuff. All which is true. I mean, just look at America, Teddy. For example, with the election, the country broken in half on on the politics. You can't talk to somebody if you're for Trump, you can't talk about Biden. If You're for Biden, you can't hear from Trump. You know, there's no there's no mutual uh, dialogue over here, which is which is interesting. It is hard in life to have friends that you can strongly disagree with things and still be friends. I want one two, but that's it. You know, most people you just don't talk about it, or you talk about the moon. You know, you talk about the weather. It's not easy to find people. They can strongly disagree with on certain matters, then nevertheless stay friends. In other words, I respect you even though I don't necessarily hold from your opinion, and vice versa. You don't find that too often. It usually becomes conflated. If you have stupid opinions, then you're stupid. You see, that's how people usually talk. And not, it's not true. Now I'll tell you the problem. As an Orthodox rabbi, and he was a chief rabbi of England, he had the same problem that all the Orthodox chief rabbis of England have had since day one, ever since back in the eighteen forties. And that is what you do with the with those who are not Orthodox but actually have different versions of Judaism. Um, in England by now, and for the last, I don't know, since World War II, certainly you've had a strong reform movement and a conservative movement. They call it liberal over there and that kind of business. And in Great Britain, there's no separation of church and state the way you have in the United States. And so the United Synagogue over which he presided, I spoke about it once before, is actually a legal, uh, has legal uh, uh, standing, And uh, they have things to do in terms of uh, definition of Jewish marriage and divorce and things. I don't want to go into all the details. When he was the chief rabbi, which was in the 90s and early 2000s, he was there for 20 or 25 years? When he was in the 290s, the big problem was how do you relate to the non-Orthodox different branches of Judaism that are in England? On the one hand, you're trying to be the chief rabbi of the whole uh, British Jewry to the degree you're able to. And... um, to the degree that he was a, that he was a brilliant spokesman, and you know the BBC loved him, and the royal family loves him, so to that degree, even the non forums say, "Okay, he's kind of he's a little bit like the chief rabbi." But on the other hand, if you were always writing about celebrating differences and respecting the other person having a different opinion, so you're Orthodox and I'm not Orthodox, so why don't you respect my opinion? You know what I'm saying? If if you say, for example, that you believe the Bible's written by God, and I argue the Bible's not written by God. Why don't you have respect and legitimacy for my opinion? And he couldn't bring himself to do that. Now I think I don't know enough about this but from what I understand which I, I repeat a hundred times I can only share with you what I understand. When he was a chief rabbi, just like Jacob was before him and the others, they always have a problem how do you relate to the non-from and I mean not only non-from the non-observant because that's not such a problem I'm talking about the those who are of different branches of Judaism. In other words can I, as a firm rabbi, um, tell or a reform rabbi, I not only respect you as a person because that's not hard, but I respect your shita. I just have a different shita. A frum rabbi is, can't say that. You understand? From rabbi can't say yes. I agree that there is more than one way of doing Judaism. There is my way and your way, because that sounds like I am giving legitimacy to your way, and I don't really feel that way. Get it? I don't feel that there is another way of doing Judaism. I don't feel that, for example, if you reform a uh, I don't know, you know, uh, like they used to do, take out the belief in uh, whatever, Eretz or made some or Mashiach or any of that kind of stuff, I can't say, oh, that's interesting, that's another way of doing Judaism. I do my way, you do your way. Both of our ways are equally well. It's just a matter of what we choose. I can't say that. Neither could he. Now, he was pulled in two directions. As a, uh, a liberal thinker, genuinely liberal thinker, he would like to say, You know, I respect everybody's different version of Judaism elsewhere. As an orthodox rabbi, he couldn't say that. And in the push-me-pull-you, he was a from guy. And so in the end, he had to finesse it, and he never really did give the non-from what they wanted, which was, you know, uh, ideological legitimacy. And they were always very, very, very bitter about that. Because at the end of the day, it's easy to say that every group has its own truth. And there's a dignity of difference was the title of his book and all that kind of stuff. But Judaism is not really built that way. Orthodox Jew not rebuilt it's not liberal. What do you do with the fact when you come up with Jewish values that are not in conformity with the twentieth uh, century or twenty first century? What do you what do you do about that? This was a hard he he uh you know, he ended up getting angry on his face a couple of times as a result of this. Uh and he I remember he wrote that, but whatever. I'm simply saying it's one thing to give um, abstract articulations. It's another one to take it to the area Lemaisa. The Lemaisa. Uh And I'll say something else. Um, he clearly was, as I said before, he wasn't yeshivish, didn't go to yeshiva, and he certainly didn't subscribe to a, a yeshiva kind of mentality. I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Um here we have the question of what we call Torah, Umadah, or umada, or anything of those nature. What do people do when they learn... This is a very serious question. What do people do when they learn one thing in, let's say, for example, yeshiva and another thing in college? What do you do, for example, if somebody learns here that the Torah is true and they learning the Torah is not true? Or this halacha is defensible, they learn that the halacha is not defensible. What do you do? Okay, what do you do? So, you, some people just say like this. You know, I drop one, I pick up the other. Somebody can say it's happened a million times. Person says, "Well, based on what I learned in college or somewhere else, I hear everything that I learned. She was all wrong, so I'm dropping being a from Jew. That's all. Okay, I made my choice. Alternatively, someone can say what I learned. She was right. What I learned in college is wrong. Therefore, I'm dropping that. Uh, there are idealists who have always argued, no, there should be a synthesis between. What you learn in one place or what you learn in the other. Because after all, there's only one truth. That's how the argument goes. Uh, and somehow you, you blend it together. Again, it's always been an articulated ideal. It's not so easy to put into actual practice. I think Rabbi Sachs really tried to put it into practice. He was like a synthesis guy, the best I can tell, uh, as opposed to a compartmentalization guy. Most... I won't say most. How do I know? Many people deal with the problem I just said by compartmentalization. Which means, this is what I do at work, this is what I do in, 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 uh, when I'm learning. This is what I do, this is how I think when I'm uh, you know in, at home, and this is what I think uh, when, uh, when I'm uh, somewhere else. I compartmentalize. You get it? And uh, This has always been a, a very uh, raging uh, uh, debate. Um, and it's uh, strongly uh, criticized because, what do you, split personality or something like that? Say what you want. But that's what usually happens uh those who try to synthesize um so i guess it's possible but maybe not because what you end up doing is not milchag and not flesh you understand you end up with a uh, philosophical point of view in which you're trying to reconcile i think what are irreconcilables but uh i'm sure he would say i'm wrong uh so this is a disagreement, you know, that would have with, with, with an approach like that. But, you know, he uh, was very brilliant. What can I tell you? So, this is the reason I said that it wasn't 100% comfortable speaking about Sachs, because I know plenty of people that uh, are uh, gushing over him. And I mean, them in a good way and not a bad way. They're inspired by everything he wrote, by all the speeches. And, uh, But w- when you come into the actual Amysa, I don't think it's so easy as. He sort of indicated it can be. Uh, I saw him on on the internet, you know, once or twice, debating with uh, atheists and others. And he was a very good debater, but you know, it, it seemed to me like he was fudging it uh, for the purpose of debate. In other words, he's a brilliant uh, uh, boxer, you know, jumping. He's always on his feet. And exactly, you know, uh, it sounded to me like he was. You know, twisting things a little bit here and there. And I don't mean in a bad way. Uh, and you could get away with it because you were talking to a non-Jewish audience. I just off the top of my head, I remember from a long ago, you know, the other guy said, well, you have, uh, you're brainwashing little children in schools. You know, why don't you wait till they grow up to decide whether they believe in God or not? And he said, well, we don't brainwash them in schools. We don't teach them theology. Judaism is not a theological kind of uh, religion, but rather it's more a practice religion. So we teach them uh, uh, religious songs and uh, customs and all the rest of it. It's not true. You know, I understand the argument that Jews are not, not theological religion in the sense that Christianity is. There's truth to that. As I always say, there's fundamentalism, nomianism, autonomous coercive communities, and cultural insularities where the four pillars of pre-modern Judaism and to a degree still are. But uh, having said that, you do have parameters. And so you do teach a basic, basic Ashkafa. If anything, you have a, a, a very literalist one, you know, in terms of Bria solom, Ahanam Chaba, Avram Yitzhak, all the rest of it. Teach you, I mean, we certainly do teach in, in uh, Jewish religious schools at the young age uh, you know, uh, a belief in, in, in God and the basics. Now maybe to Bertrand Russell that's outrageous, but uh, so what? But you see, he could get away with an audience like that because they don't know what what, what, what uh, Jews teach in the, in the elementary schools. Things like that, I don't know, whatever. But those are little uh you know, picking businesses. In the larger picture, I'll say it again, I don't know anyone who reached his there is no one who reached his eminence in the uh general wo- world. Uh, and in doing so, he provided a cover for a lot of from Jews. Uh, I understand that when he was chief rabbi, I'm pretty sure the Kharinim in England are always wondering, uh, oh, is he gonna to go too far? Uh But he never did, (laughs) okay? On the other hand, it's pretty clear to me that he retired the minute he could, when he hit 65, because it's easier to be a speaker, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it's easier to be a speaker and articulate of ideas than to actually have to apply it, Lamisa, in everyday uh, life. So it's easier to speak about having a dialogue and and respecting everybody's position, uh, but it's mm-hmm. harder to do that, like I said before. When you are the chief of England and the reform say, I guess, well, what well, are well, you going to start recognizing our gires? Uh You want to? Is it dignity of difference? Are you going to re- recognize our uh, conversions? Is it dignity of difference? Uh, it's true that uh, you know, in our conversion, you don't have to believe in anything. But uh, we, we, should, we should, because we are uh, a Jewish group, you should re- respect us for what it is. We're going to recognize our divorces. Are getting? No, so You're going to throw the. Are you willing to let uh, politically correct respect for everyone's position and genuine dialogue, because genuine dialogue means that I, that, that I can only have a... Di- a genuine dialogue means, as I said before, I do what I do, you do what you do, I respect for your position totally and vice versa, and we respectfully disagree. Is, it sounds nice. Is genuine dialogue uh, possible in all times and places, especially within Judaism? Uh, or not. Um, The yeshiva position, I shouldn't use that word, the right-wing position has always been since uh, the time of Hirsch, you know, since the 1800s. uh, This is the right way, that's the wrong way, and time will prove that we're right. And the current trends are that way, but uh, that's a disgusting thing to do. You know, I'm waiting for you to die. It's not really a... uh, a uh, intellectualist, uh, you know, way of dealing with a problem. But, as I said before, I'm not a philosopher, I'm more of a historian, and, uh, you know, the the trends sort of suggest themselves in the way that I just described. So, I think, as I conclude, uh, you see a tremendous um, height, but also a big problematic that's how I think of Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. The tremendous height was what he attained. And uh, I'll say it again, uh, you know the current chief rabbi isn't like this. There's nobody, because of the education he had and all the rest of his, and his ability he worked at it. there's nobody that attained that eminence in the non-Jewish world while staying 150 percent from. Uh, that speaks volumes. Um, it's, it's sad that I can only think of, of him. Uh, there's nobody else. I mean, the Rabbi Jacobitz was friends with Margaret Thatcher. You know, he has, but it's not... He didn't reach this level, okay? I mean, I'm not British, but over there he was speaking on the radio all the time and the TV and all the rest of it. And I'll tell you again, there's a ton of non-Jews that, uh, you know, look to him for uh, philosophical guidance, for spiritual guidance, and he was totally... Uh, a cultural liberal. Uh, he really was. And at the same time, he was 100% uh, a believer in the Torah, Shomer Torah Mises, and all the rest of it. Uh, so that's on the plus side. The minus side, as I said before, the problematic side is how do you translate that into concrete action in this day and age specifically? vis-a-vis those positions which are literally it would seem to be incompatible with the torah you know and which it comes how long until it's remaining you know knows how do you do this um that i don't know i, I didn't see him you know a, a come up with a way that convinced me let's put it that way to convince me but uh, uh, to have that kind of uh, splash in the world it's most unusual it's a big tragedy he passed away at a relatively young age the rest of it so uh you know people will be reading uh, these books that he wrote and all the rest and find tremendous um you know chiz again now and then there'll be others of us that you know are, are moved by other things but that doesn't take away from uh, from his uh, achievement anyway that's what I was, that, that's more or less what I was thinking on the subject. Um, and uh, once again, I want to thank Rabbi Kasurla. <clears throat> I'm like uh, cognitive dissonance, you know, I, I don't like being pushed into talking about something like this. But anyway, I did so. Everybody should have a good day. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.